Let's go now to God's Word, and I believe Meg is going to read to us from Matthew chapter 1. This is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. He came to save his people from their sins. Now, what does that mean? I want us to look and listen to the following video as we think about that this morning. You were to give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When, when this pronouncement came to Israel, the people of God were experiencing, still experiencing exile. It had been 400 years since they had heard from God, and they felt exiled. <laughs> Even though they were back in the land, they were being ruled by um, an evil ruler. And... The kingdom administration of God was not palpable in their midst. It wasn't present in their midst. And because of that, the people still felt exiled. Exile is such a prominent theme throughout the Old Testament especially. Um, and we don't talk about it much, but it's central to who we are as human beings. We just heard it. We heard what it felt like. We saw images as uh, Chappelle and Cindy were talking about what exile looks like. It's being put out and sent out. It's being apart from the presence of God. It's feeling pushed away. It's feeling like you're nothing. It's looking around and wondering why everybody else seems to be blessed, but you're not. That's exile. And it's a central theme of the Bible because it's what we all experience. If you look at Genesis 3, it's the very essence of what the fall feels like. God put Adam and Eve out of the garden and He put cherubim and a flaming sword at the entrance so that no one could get back into the garden, back into the tree of life without undergoing the sword. We know we can't get to God on our own. That's what we feel. We feel it every day. We feel exiled and we try to dress up and we try to, try to overcompensate with pleasure and other things and, and image and reputation and work and, but we feel exiled. But what God is proclaiming in the incarnation, what God is proclaiming in this passage is that He has come to be with His people. He's not waiting far off and, and, and saying, hey, you kind of figure it out and try to get to me. But he says, I am coming to you. God with us. Emmanuel. 
This is what Joseph and Mary were hearing. This is what the people of God were hearing. After the long silence, God has broken the silence and He has done so in such a personal and intimate way. You were to call His name Jesus for He will save His people from their sin. Emmanuel, God with us. I want to flesh this out this morning in three ways. And the first is this, God with us. It means healing and hope. It means personal healing and hope has come to you and me. Yesterday was the St. Jude uh, Memphis Marathon. And I know some in here, how many in here ran yesterday? At least some. There we go. We got a few people raising their hands. I've done um, two. I've actually started three marathons, finished two, and did not drop that at about 20 miles of one. I'm telling you, marathons are tough. They're tough, not just physically, but they're tough emotionally. They're tough in your head. It's a tough mental challenge because 26.2 miles, you are just pounding the pavement. Four hours, some maybe three hours, some maybe five or six hours, you're pounding the pavement and it's lonely. But I tell you, the thing that got me through, the ones that I finished, were those where, uh, was the presence of friends and family. To be able to know that, hey, I'm going to see Rachel at mile 12. To know that I'm going to see her at mile 21 and maybe she's going to have a cool cup of water for me. She's going to have a little Gatorade for me. But I know she's going to have a smile and a clap and a personal encouragement. And marathons are much like life. (laughs) We can't get through it alone. We need someone applauding us. We need someone coming near us. We need to be hugged. We need to be touched. We need to have verbal affirmation. God with us. You see, this is the beautiful reality of Christianity. Every other religion, every other teaching is trying to discern how to get to God. Christianity and Christianity alone says God came to us. God didn't stand back and said, figure it out. But God says, I'm coming to you. Because I want to dwell in your presence. I want to be with you. I want to have a personal relationship with you. Can you believe that? This is exactly what's happening here. The text is so common. Mary gets pregnant. Joseph says, man, we've got to do something. I mean, we're Jews. We're, we have to follow the law. And God sends an angel in a dream to say, no, this is all of God. Get up and take Mary as your wife. Marry her. I mean, God is fulfilling the plan for His coming kingdom in this simple and yet highly relational and intimate way. I love it. You were to call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. In this simple proclamation, we see that Jesus is not a prophet, but Jesus is the Messiah. It's not you will save God's people, but you He will save His people. He will come and save His people. I love John 3.17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus comes to us in love and forgiveness and mercy. He comes not to condemn us, not to put a guilt trip on us, not to hold the law over our head and say, so let's see how high you can... You can jump, but He comes with love to save us, not to condemn us. John 1.14, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, 
And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Do you realize that Jews in this time would have thought this absolute heresy? They had spent their entire lives hearing about the God that is above them, the God that is apart from them, the God that, that judges sin, the God whose name cannot even be said out loud. They were overcome with the holiness of God, a God who dwelled in His temple and, and only one man, one time a year, one day a year could get into His presence. They heard the story of Moses being put in the cleft of a rock. They heard these stories where you can't get to God. God is someone who's far off. He is, uh, he is uh, transcendent above us. He's not imminent. And yet here, God comes near. And maybe it took children like Joseph and Mary to actually receive this news. Matthew is giving the account from uh, Joseph's point of view. Luke gives the account from Mary's point of view. And and Mary breaks into song. Listen to the intimacy of her her singing in Luke chapter 1. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. See the personal, intimate conversation and, and declaration that Mary has. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors. Isn't that beautiful? Cindy and Chappelle talked about the personal relationship, grace, feeling that God was way out there, but what changed their lives, God came near. God became personal to them. And we have to ask, it's, it's very simple, and yet because it's so simple, it's so overlooked, do you understand that God has come near to you? Have you received the God who has come near? Do you walk in living relationship with God? This morning, do you feel the intimacy with your Father who has reconciled you to Himself through the work of His Son, Jesus? Is God a living relationship for you? Or are you still bound by the idea and the, the walls of religion that say you must be this way in order for God to come down? Have you received the grace of a God who says, I want relationship with you. This is my heart. Do you want to know how what I want you to remember? Do you want to know how I want you to think about me? Think about our relationship in terms of a supper. The dinner table. I want to sup with you. I want to dine with you. I want to know you intimately. Do you see why your prayer life is such a a gauge of your understanding of what God really wants with you. If we're not praying, then we're not meeting with God. We don't really believe that God is our Father. 
We don't believe that we are friends of God like John 15.15 tells us. He says, you're no longer servants, but you're my friends. Do you understand the intimacy that you can have with God? Joseph is experiencing the intimacy with God. Secondly, God with us means mission and purpose. Why does God come to us? He comes to us to employ us into something. We see this here. He, he right off the bat, tells Joseph not to, to put Mary away quietly, not to divorce her quietly, but he says, hey, I want you to marry her because I'm up to something. I'm up to something. I think we're all puzzled by the couple in um, San Bernardino, California. We're all puzzled by what we see going on around the world of people becoming radicalized and people willing to die for a mission that seems so evil and destructive and wicked. And yet, friends, it shouldn't be that um, that complicated, because at the very core of who we are is purpose and mission. God made us to be about a purpose and a mission. The very first thing that God did after creating Adam and Eve is He gave them purpose and mission, because He knew they would be looking for it, because they are made in His image, and He is an ambitious God. And so He looks at them in Genesis 1:28, and He said, "Be fruitful and multiply." Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Purpose and mission. Why? Because we wilt without it. And I think that's where we are today. There's so many looking for some type of purpose. I think younger generations look at their parents and they say, that's not it. I mean, it can't be that our purpose in life cannot just be to make money to have a house with a pool in the backyard and a couple of vacations a year. That can't be what life is. So life must be... I mean, every generation is answering that question. What is my purpose and what is my meaning? And what we see in this text is that God answers that. We saw it last week as God um, uh, sends, the Father sends the Messiah to His people that have been waiting for a few thousand years. This is what the importance of the genealogy is to make the connection that, that this is Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And what is important about that? What's important about that is the Jews had a very distinct world and life view. They knew why they were here because God had told them why they were here. He had told them in in His covenant promises to Abraham. He said, Abraham, leave your country and everything familiar and follow me. And it's through you and your children that I am going to bless the the whole world. All the nations on earth will be blessed through you. So the people of God saw themselves as the people through whom the agent through which God is going to heal the world. Do you see that? We are here. We are God's chosen people in order to bless the world. And as they become a nation, God comes to David, the king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel. And he says what? He says what to him? He says, I'm going to establish your throne forever. And so when Jesus comes as the Messiah, 
The people of God should have understood, and some did, that God has come in the person of Jesus to reign supremely over the universe, to bless the world through His people. You see, what is the political aspiration of leadership in the kingdom of God? It's not reputation, it's healing. It, it's, it's love my neighbor as myself. Why? Because the reason God's put me here, my very mission, is to bring blessing to all the brokenness around me. I mean, isn't that beautiful? There's your purpose. It's not just to go to work to sell a product. It's not just to go to work to teach a class. It's not just to get married and have children. But it's to go to work and to bless those that work under you, that work above you, that work around you. It's to, as a parent, it's to bless our children by teaching them the beauty of Christ and their purpose, that God put you here to be a blessing to the world. That's why you don't be a bully on the playground. That's why you stand up to bullies. That's why you... Do you see it? This is why you love the person that you see that's being neglected over there. Because God's put you here to be a blessing to somebody, not for everybody to be a blessing to you. I mean, the application of this is massive. And we see it here, and that God is employing Joseph in a mission. One of the primary reasons that the 400 years of silence was so... Um, deafening was because when God is absent, the mission stalls. And that's why it's so important when you get to, the king comes here in Matthew 1, but you go to Matthew 28, and the king has proven his lordship over all things. He has proven his lordship over water by turning the water into wine. He has proven his lordship over food by taking a few small loaves and a few fish and turning it into enough to feed at least 5,000 people. He's proven his lordship over disease by cleansing the lepers, by healing the, the uh, giving sight to the blind and, and allowing the, um, the lame to dance and jump and run again. And he has proven his, his lordship and his authority over sin and death by going to the grave and rising again and ascending to heaven. And he gets to the end of his work, and what does he say? All authority in heaven and on earth has now been given to me, so go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. And what does he say at the end? And lo, I am with you always. Do you see His presence, Emmanuel, God with us, is not just something to feel here in the midst of worship and say, oh, that's nice, I connected with Jesus today. But it's to say, God has called me to a mission. The church is the new Israel. And therefore, it is my job not to sit back and read the commercial appeal and read USA Today and the Washington Post and watch the news and, and read tweets and get on Facebook and become a skeptical, hopeless person. But it's to say, God has put me here for this. To show hope where there is hopelessness. God comes to Joseph and employs him in his mission. And he's done so for you and me. I love the Sermon on the Mount. 
And we see how God, um, through the Sermon on the Mount, connects Jesus with Moses, with the past. You see, Moses received the law on Mount Sinai, right? Well, Jesus stands on a mount and gives a long sermon. And he is giving the new law, if you will. He is, he is giving um, the law to his people from his own mouth. And what does he say? He starts with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How do you fight? How do you win the world? How do you make disciples? You mourn. You're poor in spirit because you know your own brokenness and you weep over the brokenness around you. It should break our hearts when we see injustice around us. It should move us. Why? Because this is God's world and God is going to heal it one day. And He's called us to be instruments of healing in this world. And so we are to feel the brokenness of the world around us. We are to be poor in spirit. We are to mourn. You say, what are we supposed to do about mourn? At least start there. Mourn. Weep, Israel, over the brokenness of the world. Weep, church, over racism. Weep, church, over abuse of authority. Weep, church, over poverty and awe. Weep. Because we are to mourn and we are to hunger and thirst for something new. We are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is righteousness? It's not just God bringing in line my personal walk with Jesus. But did you see the story? Did you listen to the story of Cindy and Chappelle? They're alive. Did you hear? I've heard that story a number of times. And it never ceases to amaze. I cannot imagine these two people as being the people they're describing. I just can't get that in my head. I can't, I can't believe it. And that is what God does when He comes to rule over the minds and hearts of lives. He doesn't just forgive our sins. And I'm not degrading the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah for the forgiveness of sins. But the forgiveness of sins and the imputation of righteousness is power to be human again. It's power to realize my worth. God loves me. So I don't need drugs. I don't need money. I don't need fame. I don't need beauty. I don't need, I can lay my life down. I can be freed from my idolatry to all this stuff. Do you see it? This is what, what is going on here when, when when uh, the angel announces that Jesus is coming to save His people from their sins, it is sin that has put the people of God in exile in every way, both materially, physically, and spiritually. And so when the King comes, He brings blessing and wholeness across our entire lives, and we are to be that for others. I'm watching someone die right now who has lived for themselves And it's one of the ugliest things that I've ever witnessed. And yet for a child of God to face death, we face death with hope. We face death with with life. We face death knowing you can kill my body, but you can't kill my soul. I'll go directly and be with Jesus. You kill me, I'm completed. I'm, I'm more human. I'm more alive than I've ever been. And... Do you see how Jesus comes and when He comes and saves, 
He radically changes us. I don't need to be right in front of those that are accusing me. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to be angry. I don't need to be critical. I read a great story. I think it was Rob Bratcher that posted this on one of the social media outlets. But it's the story of a woman by the name of Rosario Butterfield. Uh, she lived in a lesbian relationship for a number of years. And she was a co- is a college professor and lived with her partner... Um, and they own two houses, and they use their houses around the campus to, uh, for activism uh, for the homosexual movement. Um, but God converted her. He changed her heart, drew her to himself, and she wrote a book um, entitled The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And um, after the Supreme Court decision a couple of months ago, she wrote a response and, and posted it, and she received an angry email. And this is what she wrote. She says, it was a really interesting email because it was the kind of email that someone would only write after years and years and years of social media. It was the kind of email that assumed, quote, you're never going to show up in my life in real time. And the interviewer asked her, he said, so how did you respond to this email? And she said, I wrote this. She said to the one who wrote the email, can you come over for dinner on Monday? You know, because this is not how human beings are supposed to relate on these issues. She invited her to dinner. That's a woman who's been redeemed by King Jesus That's a woman who is fighting with kingdom uh, swords and kingdom weapons. It's a woman who says, I'm going to win this this battle with love. I'm going to love my my enemy. I'm going to bring them in and I'm going to be kind to them and I'm going to kill them with with love and kindness. Do you see, the world can win arguments. But only we can win people. But we have to fight in different ways. And Jesus stood on the mountain and He said, this is the way we fight right here. You see, Jesus is coming in this passage as a baby being born to Joseph and Mary who are way down the lineage. They aren't rock stars in Israel. They're barely even known. And God says, this is how I do my kingdom work. Even from His coming, we see the nature of His kingdom work. You say, can little old me make a change? Think of Joseph and Mary. Because God chooses people like us. The world doesn't know. And He says, you go act like a child of God. You go love as you have been loved. And you see what happens. And you say, how can we do it? Thirdly and finally, God with us means faith and obedience. I love this. Verses 24 through 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. And this is almost like a parenthetical statement. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Two things. He didn't have sex with Mary until after she gave birth to the son. Now, it's so easy just to kind of fly over that. There aren't many 
engaged couples who are not having sex. (laughs) There are not many Christian engaged couples who are not having sex. And yet Joseph, something happened to Joseph. Something, Something empowered him. To walk righteously with his sex life. What was it? I don't think it was fear. I think it was this encounter. I think it was a God who was willing to come to Joseph. It was a God who was willing to come to him with with such kindness and tenderness. It was a God who said, I am for you. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save the world. And I'm employing you in this mission. It's relationship and mission. I think the reason we find it so hard to, to, to be obedient to the obvious commands of God in our lives is because we are not in living relationship with Jesus, but we're also not about His kingdom, doing the business of His kingdom. Now hear me, that doesn't mean that someone who's walking with Jesus and someone who is on mission doesn't sin. Believe me, about every rock star of the Bible fell, (laughs) except for Jesus, and that's the point. But dear friends, love and grace and mercy is power for the mission. And there is no one who loves us and is more merciful than Jesus. And He comes to us, and when we know His love, then we don't need the things of the world. When we know His love, then we can stand up to the criticism of those around us. And that's another thing. I look at Joseph and I wonder, how did he do this? How in the world did he stand up to the criticism of his day? Because he was innocent. He did not get Mary pregnant. And yet what the angel is commanding him to do is to live as if you did. Take her to be your wife. Wow. And don't defend yourself. I mean, who's going to believe you anyway? Yeah, right, an angel came to you. (laughs) Heard that one before. Or maybe not. That's a new one. Joseph was a righteous man. The worst thing you can do to a righteous man is to accuse him of not being righteous. And yet Joseph found power to not have to be right in front of the world. Where did that power come from? Where did it come from? It came from God visiting him personally. Isn't that beautiful? You see, faith precedes obedience. You you want to know where, where to get power for obedience? Look at this cross and let it sink deep into your heart and soul. Does that mean that we don't build a life and we don't set boundaries and we don't discipline our lives around the things that we know are honoring to God? Absolutely not. In fact, we should do those things begging God to bring our hearts along to catch up to where we're, we're, we're uh, to our outward obedience. But what God is clearly showing us is that real obedience comes from the heart. That's what Paul said in Romans 1.17, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Joseph was humbled by God's presence. 
And he was empowered by the reality that that he and the people of God are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Isn't that beautiful? ISIS believes they're fighting to create a caliphate. What in the world is that? It is an Islamic government with a, being led by a successor of Muhammad. That's what ISIS believes. We're fighting for this. Can you see how Christianity is radically different? It's no less radical. You hear me? What we have been called to is no less radical. And if we haven't felt that, then we don't understand the Scriptures. Because we are being called to go and make disciples of all the nations, the whole world. That's what God has called you and me to do. And yet we are to do it not with swords, not with pipe bombs, not with AK-47s, but to do it with love. To love those around us that have less than us. To fight for justice. That's what Micah 6.8 tells us to do. To love mercy. To walk justly. To love mercy. To do justice. And to walk humbly with our God. And you say, that just doesn't sound like enough. Dear friends, it's enough when we are like that. Because there are... There's no other community on the planet that is like that. And do you know what that means? It means right here, with however many of us are in this room, that the way that we win the world is by how we relate to one another. The way we win the world is by recognizing that if there's somebody in this room that we know has something against us, that we go to them, maybe even before we come to these tables. Do you get that? That this is what love looks like. And when we as a community of of Christ are living in that capacity, then the world stands back and goes, who are these people? Because when we are that tender and merciful to one another, and we're pulling those around us into such a community, we create a counter-community that changes the world. Dear friends, can we be radicalized this morning, <laughs> if we're not already? Can be, we be radicalized by the love of Jesus to say, here I am, use me. To say, Jesus, it's been a long time since I, since I simply sat at your feet and listened to you and communed with you. It's been a long time since I've personalized the reality of what you've done for me. But here I am. Make it personal to me again. Make it personal to me for the first time. Work in my heart that I might know your love, that I might be empowered to not have to need all the things that I think I need. And help me to be a part of your community that we might win the world. Help me to identify a neighbor. Help me to identify a coworker. Help me to a neighbor, uh, identify an issue around me that I know you're calling me to, to engage with love and mercy and self-sacrifice. Help me to get involved for the glory of Christ. Dear friends, that's my hope this morning. We're not going to win the world by taking up arms. (laughs) 
we're going to win the world by taking up Jesus and saying He's a hope for sinners like us. So may we do that. Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank You that You are with us this morning. Thank You that You are at these tables and You are inviting us to come and to sup with You, to dine with You. You're inviting us to come and renew faith and to renew a heart for You. God, may we be quick to repent. Show us our sin, O God. Show us how we specifically need to repent. Father, heal our relationships and move us higher up and deeper into You. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You have come to be among us. So God, I pray that we would live among You and that we would take You to the world, the world that You rule over by Your might and power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.